Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. I have a heartwarming story out of Mission Services Hamilton. Bill 60 still rubbing thousands of hospital workers the wrong way. Donald Trump faces the music again. Holy Mackinac, what a year for McMaster University. How many times a day do you swear? And travel insurance might be something you want to pack for your summer vacation. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. As we know, affordable housing is a humongous issue in Hamilton. But the Mission Services Housing Up program has a terrific feel-good story to share from its men's emergency shelter. And I read this on their Instagram account. And I thought, we just have to share this with you. Sean McKeegan is the Associate Executive Director of Programs at Mission Services and joins us now on GMH. Sean, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. This is one of those stories, and I'll get you just to recap in general what happened, that really really touches the heart, but might inspire someone to go above and beyond as well. So tell us what happened. Uh, well, the, the story that you're referring to is is surprisingly not, uh, it's not that uncommon. Um, we do a lot of work, and, and I know that one of the things you would have read is, is, related to the advocacy work we do, but a lot of it has to do with really understanding what is available in the system and understanding how to access services and supports. So the particular story that you're referencing, you know, a gentleman was precariously housed and really facing uh, a set of circumstances that were foreign uh, to him. And, And we've navigated these situations before and it's not just homelessness we're looking to tackle. We're looking to tackle situations where people are are at risk of becoming homeless. And, and in this particular situation, working to help someone understand the situation they're, they're facing, the resources that are available to them, you know, to advocate on their behalf. And, when, and again, when we talk about advocacy, it's really helping people understand what, what exists, what's, what's available and how they can access it if there are, there's a lot to navigate in systems as big as ours. So, so understanding how to move through systems like that is really what we focus on. But this particular case, uh, like, like you read, uh, facing homelessness, not knowing uh, you know, how to move through a system like this, not knowing what paperwork needs to be completed or, or, or who, to, who to connect with and who to talk to, that's the work that we do. We, we really work to understand a person's situation, help, help identify the resources that might be available to them, and connect them to those resources so they can be successful. Here is this uh, early intervention worker who is uh, connected with uh, an individual who needs housing in this community, uh, is facing several different issues, including declining mental health. And, and this individual admission services basically you know, completes his access to housing application, identifies that, yes, there is a place in the community that they can be housed in, uh, also goes through you know, how the housing stability benefit works, make sure that this individual obtained it and really went above and beyond to make sure that this individual had a place to stay in our community. And as you mentioned, this is one of many instances in which uh, the people at Mission Services connect individuals to housing. Uh, Talk about the need in the community and how many sorts of stories are, are, are relatable throughout the organization. Well, I think the need the need in the community is obvious. And I mean, we we see it. Uh, we see it every day. Uh, you know, people experiencing very, very high levels of need. And uh, 
the system, so the housing and homelessness system, and, and you may have heard or, or people might be familiar with the term, you know, Hamilton operates with a housing first philosophy and, and, and a coordinated access system. It's people like Ashley, our early intervention worker, that really work to coordinate that access. And coordinating access is an action. So we think about coordinating access for people that need to need to understand or need to know how to navigate what options exist for them. And that's what we do. We've seen, so Housing Up and Early Intervention are really good examples, uh, but we've seen it in our Housing Up program since we started at the beginning of the pandemic, 300 plus individuals housed in the past three years in the community through a variety, uh, you know, and, through a variety of different solutions to get there, but everybody's situation is a little bit different. So, you know, working to understand those unique individual situations, if people are reaching out, uh, looking, looking for a solution, uh, they might not know all of the things that people that are working in the system know. So that's that's really what we're looking to do, whether it's through early intervention, looking to connect people to the right situation, rights, right supports and right services, whether it be for addiction support, mental health, housing support, income stability, employment services. All of these things are things that we know contribute to, uh, you know, people's housing stability. And, you know, there are certainly benefits that exist that oftentimes people just if they don't if they're aware of them at all, oftentimes don't know exactly how to go about accessing them. In our so that's the work that we're really doing. In our final 30 seconds together, Sean, can you describe the difficulty that uh, you and, and other community organizations are facing in finding that subsidized or stable housing? Well, I, I can describe it. It's hard. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how to, uh, you know... There is decli declining inventory, and we read this every day where, you know, existing inventory is being turned over, and I think those are challenges, but but there is still inventory that exists. There are still, you know, pro uh, pro private market landlords, property managers looking to uh, find good tenants, and that's, and, and again, that's who we're, we're, we're supporting. People, if, if they have experienced homelessness, doesn't, doesn't mean that they're not good tenants or couldn't be good tenants. We work to make sure that, you know, people have all the resources that they need to be successful, including those access to income supports if those are in need. It's a, a great story to share, and I'm glad uh, we were able to share it with our listeners this morning. Sean, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. You have a great morning. Sean McKeegan is with Mission Services. By the way, the individual that uh, finally got into the subsidized housing, uh, his name is Andy. He is he's still there. He's been thriving since December of 2022. So that is definitely a terrific feel-good story uh, thanks to Mission Services. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's time to invest and implement a meaningful staff retention and recruitment plan. That is how to improve care and shorten wait times, not privatization. That is the voice of Ontario Nurses Association President Aaron Aris as hospital workers at St. Joseph's Healthcare Centre, or Healthcare Hamilton, pardon me, uh, continue to protest the Ford government's plan to contract out hospital surgeries to private for-profit clinics. This has been in the news for a while now. There was about um, 2,400 nurses, PSWs, lab technologists who have signed 
signed the petition, delivered it to executives at St. Joe's yesterday during a, a protest and a rally, and is asking the hospital leadership to take a stand against Bill 60, which allows more private clinics to offer certain publicly funded surgeries and procedures, all in an effort to cut long wait lists for care. Sharon Riche is the Secretary Treasurer for CUPE's Ontario Council of Hospital Unions and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Sharon, good morning. Thank you very much for having me this morning. I really appreciate it. This is obviously a bill that has been passed through uh, Queen's Park, uh, but, but even so, uh, as we know, hundreds uh, of PSWs, lab technologists and others uh, delivering this message to St. Joe's leadership to say, listen, we, we have to take a stand against uh, what is happening in this province. Was, uh, we know the message was sent. Was the message received? Absolutely. So uh, yesterday, there was an incredible amount of people out despite the weather. Um, the uh, five largest unions have been working with our members in varieties of hospitals across the province um, to talk about uh, Bill 60 um, and uh, the privatization. The staff are devastated about this bill passing. Um, and, you know, collectively, people want to do things. And so, uh, you know, the five largest unions joined together. Um, we built a super majority of the staff at St. Joseph's Health Center Center and delivered a petition with over uh, 2,400 signatures on it um, asking the CEO uh, to reach out to the Conservative government, Doug Ford, um, and others um, to talk about um, and to take a stand about the privatization that we're seeing um, across the province. Has the leadership at St. Joe's given you any, any indication that they're going to do so? Um, they did. Uh, there was a group, a small group of people that did go in. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the CEO was not there, um, but somebody did take the petition um, and she very much heard their concerns and she's going to get back to them. There are some groups in this province, like the Ontario Medical Association, who say, you know, we need something like Bill 60 to cut the long wait list for care. What do you say to that? Is there a better way to do this? You know, um, this is going to be devastating for the staff. What what happens when we have private clinics uh, popping up? Um, generally, they pay more um, for the staffing. Currently, where uh, healthcare workers are under Bill 124, which didn't have them uh, any ability to bargain more than a one percent wage increase. Um, so, when people see uh, more wages due to inflation, and uh, they go over there, this is going to put a huge strain on already the public system um, in healthcare, um, which when there is no nobody to look after patients, wait times go up, people have to wait longer and emerge, um, you know, bed closures, obviously people, um, they have to close beds. We've seen that the emergency departments have to be closed when there is no registered staff to be able to look after people. This is not the way to sustain a public uh, funded um, healthcare system. The way to abstain to sustain it is to ensure that we have proper staffing so that we can bring down wait times. We have largely most ORs in Ontario that are not being used. Why don't we actually use 
the public system that we currently have to its full capacity instead of creating this two-tier system, which does not give um, accessibility and um, equality for people, um, only if you have the income to be able to pay for it, that you will receive the proper health care. Sharon Riche is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sharon is the Secretary Treasurer with CUPE's Ontario Council of Hospital Unions. We're talking about Bill 60, which basically uh, provides or moves some public health care services to private clinics. Are we seeing uh, nurses, other health care professionals from the public side of the system move to the private side? Because I know that was a big concern when Bill 60 was initially introduced. Yes, we're we're seeing it all the time, and um, you know our staff are are might be leaving for private clinics, but they're also leaving for other challenges because of the staffing issues that are going on. When your workload has doubled and tripled over the last year and a half to two years, um, it is not sustainable. You cannot go on um, going to work every single day without getting sick yourself. Uh, We're also seeing some urgent care centers in places like Fort Erie, Port Colborne closing overnight because of a lack of staff. And it sounds like with Bill 124 and then Bill 60, they kind of go hand in hand because you're robbing Peter and you're paying Paul in the same in the same light. Absolutely. Uh, You know, we've been urging uh, Doug Ford's government to drop this appeal about Bill 124 and allowing healthcare workers, um, certainly across the province, doesn't matter what union you're in, to negotiate a fair wage for for these members that, you know, have been there um, for us during COVID. Um, This is something the healthcare workers actually really deserve uh, you know, when COVID hit its peak, it sh- they showed up to work to look after the most vulnerable and complex patients. Um, and, you know, to see um, last month um, the Conservative government pass Bill um, 60 was just devastating for many of our staff. Sharon, thank you for your time today. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Sharon Riche, Secretary Treasurer with CUPE's Ontario Council of Hospital Unions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Even though we're preparing, we're bringing enough resources to handle crowd anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000. We don't expect any issues. That is Miami Police Chief Manuel Morales describing the scene in Miami today as preparations are underway ahead of former President Donald Trump's appearance in federal court today, where he's facing a bunch of charges related to his handling or mishandling of classified documents. Reggie Giacchini is our Washington correspondent for Global News, and we find him in the Sunshine State this morning. Reggie, good morning. Good morning. What is going to happen today? What's on the docket? So Donald Trump is expected to arrive uh, at the courthouse around three o'clock this afternoon. He's about 20 kilometers away at his golf club resort uh, in Doral, Florida. When he arrives at three o'clock, he will be treated as any other accused criminal would be. He'll be fingerprinted. He will have uh, the charges read before him. We don't think that there will be a mugshot. And if there is one, it'll be uh, it won't be released uh, to the public. Uh, And the, the process may only last about an hour or so, which that which point Trump will leave and head back to New Jersey for uh, for a fundraiser at his golf course uh, in Bedminster. So it will be a bit of a whirlwind afternoon for the former president. Is there any inclination that he's going to speak during this appearance? 
Well, look, Secret Service had already issued uh, a bit of concern uh, saying that if he were to come out and try to address any crowd that might be here, that dangers may be posed. Uh, and there are some legitimate security concerns here. I mean, I'm standing outside of the courthouse and the only barricades that are up is some flimsy police tape that's surrounding the building. There are no metal barricades. There is no real area here uh, for any kind of crowd that may show up, whether with the former president or, or against the former president. So that's something to wait and see. If Donald Trump decides to speak, that is going to cause a spectacle in front of this courthouse. The security detail, or at least the the barricades that we saw in New York, you just mentioned that they're not uh, really being installed in Miami. And that is a little troubling to hear, because when you hear the police chief say we expect we could get anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000, that's going to be quite concerning. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we had the former president use his social media account uh, within the last couple of weeks, put a call out to his supporters to show up at the rally. And look, there has been some communication that's been spotted online from far right extremist groups, including the Proud Boys, where its Florida faction says that it may show up at the courthouse. Uh, we know the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, is also expected to show up and that could draw a crowd as well. Uh, police say that they are working in tandem with all levels of, uh, of police, whether it's at the state level, the local level or at the federal federal level. But again, with so few barricades up and so few visible security measures, uh, this could be a trying moment for law enforcement. Reggie Giacchini is our guest, a Global News Washington correspondent. As you listen to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, as we chat about former President Donald Trump's latest court appearance, this time in federal court related to charges of handling classified documents. Speaking to these charges, uh, how serious are they? What would the penalties, in fact, be if he is found guilty? Well, look, they're, they're incredibly serious. There were 37 of them. Some of them fall under the Espionage Act. Not that Donald Trump is accused of being a spy, but it's that willful retention of documents that were so classified that some of the classification levels were actually classified themselves. Uh, according to the indictment, the maximum sentence here for Donald Trump on conviction of all of them would be 100 years. You know, it's unclear if on conviction they would use a maximum sentence or there'd be minimum penalties here. But it's also worth pointing out that we're in the middle of an election campaign and Donald Trump is still the front runner in the Republican Party. So he is going to have to weigh these legal challenges along with the other legal challenges he's facing and the potential outcome of whatever this trial or any of the other trials that he's facing could also have. Yeah, this is the second time in a couple of months that he's being, uh, you know, before a judge facing criminal charges. What has been the impact or potentially could be the impact on his presidential bid for 2024? And, and Rick, we have to remember, too, that there's also the potential for indictments coming out of Georgia in both a state level investigation and federal investigation linked to his attempts to subvert the 2020 election. So that could be layered on top of this, on top of any other January 6th trials that may involve the former president. Uh, look, he's received a boost already. His numbers, his poll numbers, uh, his, his support is growing underneath him. There is a widening gap between him and others within the Republican Party. And it's interesting at this kind of juncture to see that the people that are actively trying to push him out of the race because they would themselves would like to be at the top of the Republican ticket are finding themselves having to stand by and defend Donald Trump. Because if you don't defend him, if you go on the attack, there's a chance that he and that support below him can then go on the attack of the other person. In that very same state, Ron DeSantis also going for that presidential run. Uh, how does he respond today? Well, I mean, we'll have to wait to see how he responds. Look, Ron DeSantis has been 
uh, kind of subdued in his attacks on the former president, not often naming him uh, or using his name, trying to talk about simply the Trump legacy and how Trump orbits uh, around politics. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is an opportunity for for Ron DeSantis, who is the number two in this race right now, just by a, a significant margin, uh, an opportunity for him to come out. But again, people who go after the former president, people who attack him often can find themselves in the crosshairs of uh, of the base. And if somebody's looking to erode that support under Donald Trump, they have to be very careful the way they do it. Well, we'll all be watching what happens today. Reggie, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Reggie Tacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. McMaster University's athletics department is celebrating what has been an incredible 2022-23 season, highlighted by several championships, uh, multiple individual honors, numerous academic awards as well. And here to talk about it is Sean Burt, the director of athletics and recreation at McMaster University. Sean, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you guys are doing more than well. I mean, this past season has been insanely amazing for McMaster. What? What are you just eating Wheaties every day? <laughs> I'm not sure what the secret is. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable competitive season that this past season, and and frankly, um, the honors um, off the field of play have been been really exceptional as well. So we are uh, we're thrilled for our student athletes, teams, coaches, and staff. Well, there is something to this, though, because, yes, you need the high-performance athletes to perform on a particular day or throughout a particular season. You know that you need the right coaches in the right place at the right time. And and really, from an administration standpoint, you need that support as well. This is really has been, and, and not just this past season, but for many, many years now, a well-oiled machine. What is McMaster doing right to get it right on the court or the field or wherever the playing surface is? Oh, that's an excellent question. You know, it's it's always the sort of $64,000 question. I think, you know, um, I have to give a ton of credit to our coaches and, and support staff who, um, you know, lay the foundation for success for our student athletes, trying to reduce the distractions as much as they possibly can, focus them in on what's important, um, keep everything in perspective, and then, of course, um, prepare everybody for, you know, elite level um, competition in sport and here in Canada. So, you know, I, I wish I could give you a straight answer in terms of, you know, what the secret sauce is, but I think it's a combination of things. And, you know, truthfully, we get such great support Um across the university and, and across the Hamilton community. I think that um, all of our student athletes realize that um, the team is is bigger than the one that they see around them. There's there's so many people supporting them. And, um, you know, we're blessed to have, have so many great coaches and, and people behind the scenes pulling a lot of ropes uh, to push everybody in the right direction. It's, it's pretty awesome. I'm going to guess that after a year like McMaster has had, whether it is, you know, basketball, volleyball, cross country, uh, football, golf, you know, the, the list goes on and on, that it is a little bit easier to recruit the stars of tomorrow. Well, you sure hope so. I think, you know, success is pretty contagious and um, um, our team, the coaches and, and staff do a really great job of, of uh, finding top tier talent. But what's really amazing when you're when you're dealing with the top 70 ranked university in the world, um, you know, it's it's pretty evident that the the academic strength is 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 there. And um, it's a it's a special kind of student athlete that you're recruiting. And um, we do a really good job, in, in my estimation, of, of really knowing where our strengths are and attracting 
um, amazing athletes that, that also happen to be incredibly intelligent young men and women. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Sean Burt. He is the Director of Athletics and Recreation at McMaster University, celebrating a wonderful 2022-23 season highlighted by numerous championships, awards, and other accolades. And if you're wondering, oh, what did what did Mac do last year? Well, how about this? Five OUA championships, a national championship in uh, cross-country, two national athletes of the year. Sarah Gates was a U-Sports Athlete of the Year in uh, in basketball, Max Turek in cross-country as running of the year, as fantastic as all that is, and it is absolutely amazing, you, you've also done a lot of great work in the community. And uh, athletes, student athletes, are also winning uh, things like community service awards as well. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when we look at the pillars of, of what we expect in terms of, you know, high performance program in the classroom, on the field of play and in the community, you know, these young men and women are doing unbelievable things. And I think what we um, often forget is the number of hours that they dedicate to community service, getting out in the community, meeting young children, inspiring them, being role models, um, but, you know, raising money for um, a number of local charities and and initiatives that are meaningful to them. And, and really, we don't have any involvement in that uh, other than supporting um, administratively around some of the things that they're looking to do. But this is driven a lot by our student athletes who really want to make a difference in the world and, uh, you know, raising just over $42,000 for local charities and, and being recognized um, for community service work, both at the provincial and at the national level. Christina Stratford, from our women's volleyball team um, won the uh, the national award around community service. So, you know, this is um, recognition of incredible people doing incredible things, looking to make a difference in the world, but also balancing, um, you know, the incredible time constraints that um, their academics and athletics um, uh, impart on them. So it's it's really, really phenomenal. It's, it's quite inspiring to be around it every day, and uh, I think it makes all of us better. Uh, coaching is a big part of it, too. And, you know, two McMaster University, longtime McMaster University coaches, uh, Dave Preston, who I know is recently retired with the men's volleyball program, uh, Paula Schnurr, the first ever woman to be named a U-Sports Coach of the Year in men's cross-country, leading that team to its first ever U-Sports cross-country championship since 1963. Three coaching goes a long way to molding uh, the uh, the student athletes of today and tomorrow, and and a part of that too is you know all the work that these student athletes do in the community for charities. And I understand that more than forty two thousand dollars has been raised by student athletes in the Hamilton community. That that's amazing. That you know that deserves uh, a standing ovation, let alone a round of applause. Yeah, I think, you know, um, having worked in the not-for-profit sector, I can tell you that, that um, you know, competing for, for donor dollars is at an all-time high. And, you know, not-for-profit organizations rely so heavily on, on volunteers or extended networks to, to further their mandates. And, and when our student-athletes come forward and step up and say, hey, you know, we'd like to do some things um, – on our own volition to uh, to make the world a better place and our community a better place, it's pretty inspiring. And um, you know, they like everything they do, they get right after it, and and the results speak for themselves. Um, you know, these are high achievers um, in every aspect of their lives, and uh, and and you know, fundraising and and community services is no different.
Uh, we're going to have a couple of those uh, um, high-performing athletes and coaches on the radio later on today. Uh, women's volleyball player Christina Stratford is going to join uh, Scott Thompson on Hamilton today this afternoon. And uh, Paula Schnur and Max Turek from the uh, cross-country team is going to join uh, Scott Radley tonight here on 900 CHML. So the, the last question I have for you, Sean, is how high is the bar next year? <laughs> well, you know what? The bar's set pretty high, Rick, and, and that's a good thing. I think, you know, when you have high performers, um, they're always seeking to, to figure out what the next uh, challenge looks like and, and to um, meet or exceed um, what they've accomplished um, this past year. So, you know, we're really excited for what lies ahead. I know our coaches are out there actively working in the community, trying to recruit the best student athletes and bring them in and get everybody ready for um, next season. So, you know, we're going to try and, and meet or exceed what we've accomplished this year. And, uh, you know, based on everything that I've seen and, and everything that I'm hearing amongst the group, we're, we're in good shape. So um, we can't do it alone. Um, great support from from our partners like chml and everybody in the hamilton community that gets behind these student athletes it's it's like uh, fuel on the fire for us so um, we couldn't be more grateful for for the tremendous support that we're getting and and really excited to see what uh, unfolds in 23 24 it's been an amazing year can't wait for next year as well sean thanks for the time congratulations good luck down the road Thanks so much, Rick. Really appreciate your support. Have a great day. You too. Sean Burton, Director of Athletics and Recreation, McMaster University, their most successful season by championships in nearly 25 years and the third most all-time at McMaster. That is something to hang your hat on for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a, a survey out by the people at uh, onlinecasino.ca. you got to check it out. It's pretty interesting. And uh, they basically surveyed Canadians uh, that curse the most and the least. They wanted to find out how many times in a day do you curse? What city's number one? On the most cursing list, and which city has the least number of curse words in a day? And where does Hamilton rank in all this? As we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. It's also the focus of our poll question of the day on Twitter, at AM900CHML. How many times on average, in comparison to the national average, do you curse? The average is 12 times a day. Are you above that average? Well, 60% say they're above that average. 12 times a day, 26 say 26% that is say they're below that average and 14% say I don't curse at all. Got a text from Tom who says under unless I'm golfing. Steve texted in at 905-645-3221 and Steve says I swear less than 12 times a day unless I'm golfing or watching the Ticats play Winnipeg. <laughs> you could have your say on the text line as well. 905-645-3221. Guess what? I just drove my car into a lake. You did what? I drove my car into a lake. So there are obviously certain circumstances that arise in our daily lives that will prompt us to go into the belly of the beast, so to speak, and utter a curse word. And some people, and we're seeing it in our poll question results, just don't go there because they've never gone there before. And so they, they just don't curse. It's not part of their vocabulary or their vocal repertoire. Uh, on Twitter, at AM900CHML or at Rick Zamprin, great tweet from Jeff who says, I cursed 12 times walking from the bedroom to the bathroom this morning. <laughs> oh, who knows what happened on that trek? And John says, must be a slow news day. Well, yeah, kind of, sort of. But this is fun. 
This is fun, including this statistic out of the survey from OnlineCasino.ca that one in four Canadians don't sub out hard curses for more friendly options. And some of those more friendly options are heck, dang, fudge, crap. That's the most used curse alternative, crap. 41% of survey participants, that is their go-to word. Maybe when they're around children, certainly you don't want to (laughs) unleash some of the harsher curse words. Uh, Shoot, geez, crud, they're all right up there in terms of regularly substituted curse words. So which cities are at the top of the list when it comes to most curse words in a day? Well, you will be surprised to know that number three on the list is London, Ontario. Number two on the, with 21.5 swear words per day. That's well above the national average. Edmonton is second at 22 and a half. And blowing everyone out of the water, the number one city on the list of most swear words used a day with an astonishing 33.2 swear words per day is Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. What in the heck is going on in Saskatoon? Kitchener, by the way, is 10th. Burlington is 15th. What do they got to swear about over there? 11 swear words per day under the national average, but 15th on the list of Canadian cities that swear the most. Well, where is Hamilton? Well, which Canadian cities swear the least? Hamilton, Ontario, is on this list, believe it or not. Toronto is 15th with just over 10 swear words per day. Hamilton is 13th. We average 9.55 swear words per day. The top 10 also includes Richmond Hill at number 10, Markham at 8, Mississauga at 7, Oakville at 6, with only 4.75 bad curse words a day. Windsor 4th, Regina is 3rd. That's somewhat close to Saskatoon. Brampton 2nd on the list with 2 swear words per day, and number 1 on the list of least swear words per day is Laval, Quebec, clocking in at 1.33. That's not a lot of swear words at all. What do we swear at? Or where do we swear at? 43% of the time, we're swearing at home. 33% among friends, and only 8% when we're stuck in traffic, which I think is kind of low. And we're swearing at the most inanimate objects. Think of stubbing your toe on the leg of a table. Yeah, you're going to blurt something out more often than not. And 31% of the time, we're swearing at ourselves. Yeah, I do that from time to time. There you go. Your little uh, lesson about swearing in Canada. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you're planning a camping trip this summer, well, number one, you're not alone. Number two, if you haven't solidified those plans, you might want to hurry them up. Because, as you know, more and more people are struggling to make ends meet, but they still want to make the most out of their summer with their kids, especially. And they think, well, camping is a much cheaper option than, say, you know, going overseas to Europe or taking a African safari. I mean, the the costs are night and day. And given the current economic conditions, more and more people are saying, you know what? Camping is is a pretty good option. But it's also important, too, to make sure 
you know what you're getting into. And part of that is travel insurance, which brings me to my next guest. Her name is Melissa Almonte, Regional Marketing Manager with Insure My Trip, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Melissa, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm not too bad. Are we expecting a very busy camping season this summer? Yes, we are, actually. Um, parks had started booking up right as soon as the Parks Canada website opened up um, back a few months ago. So very busy. I would not have thought about uh, buying travel insurance for a camping trip, but are more and more people doing this? Yes. So travel insurance for camping is recommended if you're going out of province. So if you're road tripping to your campsite, whether it's a national campground or provincial, you should definitely consider travel insurance because your government health insurance plan is only going to partially protect you. So it's a wise decision. So what would this travel insurance cover? So... Primarily, um, it would be recommended for emergency medical, uh, for things like if an emergency medical event were to happen and you needed transportation, um, whether that be air ambulance, um, road ambulance, things like that, because costs for medical emergencies outside of your province, they can range up from the 10,000s of dollars mark up into the hundreds of thousands of dollars mark. So that's why we encourage if you are leaving the province to get your travel insurance. That's a very good idea, especially if you run into any sort of emergency, which we can't plan for. I mean, we can kind of expect and maybe, you know, it'll be in the back of our minds, but in, until it happens and, and then you need that insurance, uh, if you don't have it, you're out of luck. Correct. Melissa Almonte is our guest. She's a regional marketing manager with Insure My Trip. You can go online to insuremytrip.ca to compare travel insurance that's out there. Let's provide our listeners with some tips for Canadian campers this season. We have a, a top five tip list, and it starts off with food. What should we know when camping about food? So definitely store your food in an area that's hard to reach. So if you go to Algonquin, uh, for example, there's a lot of bears up that way. So put your food up in a tree somewheres or another good idea, which I used to do was um, locking it up in your trunk of your vehicle. So that's a good tip when it comes to food. Um, fires, there's a lot of fire bans happening right now due to the wildfires and half of them being caused by um, individuals when they're camping and not necessarily putting them out um, correctly. So practice fire safety, um, especially during the summer now that we're approaching that in a couple of weeks and check the fire bans in the area. So visit, you know, Parks Canada website or the individual provincial websites to see if there are any fire bans because fines can, you know, go upwards of $25,000. Wow. Yeah, that's so. a very good. That's a very good tip because, as you know, and our listeners know, that wildfires are a major concern at this moment, not only in Ontario but uh, virtually every other province in the country. So we've gone through food and fire. Uh, poisonous plants also should we should be aware of. Yes, so definitely bring a book of the most um, common plants that you may find out and about in the wilderness. You know, bring boots, long pants, long sleeves. Calamine lotion, bug repellent is a big one. You can even make your own. Um, and also, 
if you do happen to come into contact with any poisonous plants, make sure that you rinse the area with alcohol or lots of water to minimize any impacts of you being affected. Yeah, nothing could sidetrack a, a road trip or a camping trip by getting, you know, infected with some kind of plant. Right. right. <laughs> uh, this is what I didn't think of. Altitude awareness. Yes. Yeah, so high altitude, um, be aware, uh, stay hydrated, drink plenty of water and prevent altitude sickness, which causes headaches and nausea and muscle cramps. So just prepare yourself if you're going to do any altitude camping. And last but not least, expect the best, but hey, we should always be preparing for the worst. Exactly. Exactly. Melissa, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. And if you're heading out camping this summer, have a safe one. Thank you. You too. Melissa Almonte is a regional marketing manager with Insure My Trip. More details online, insuremytrip.ca, a website that helps you compare travel insurance. And I, I think one of the biggest tips of them all is if you are going out of province, especially uh, investigate what those um, potential hurdles could be because, uh, you know, your government health insurance will only partially protect you uh, in other provinces. So do that. Uh, do that homework. There's your homework assignment for today. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.